it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Stramash, the podcast of the NFL Scotland team. This is episode 218 and there is no Cameron Hobbs. Like his team, he's taking a rest before gearing up for the playoffs and talking all things football. With me tonight, we have our favourite Ravens fan, Gordon McGuinness, and our sacrificial lamb, our Packers fan, Charles Patterson. Charles, I have to ask you, Mm. You're looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, I am, as a neutral. Yeah, it's. I think because uh, we don't know who's going to progress, we don't know uh, there's going to be a surprise there somewhere. The number seven seeds are going to get blown out like they always do, um, and then after that, the fun can begin. But, oh, listen, um, life goes on uh, in terms of football. The only thing I wonder is whether we'll ever see Aaron Rodgers throw a pass in green and gold again, and we can talk about that another day if you want. But that might have been it. Well, let, let's go with a hot take. Mm. Do you think he's done? Um, based on body language and on what <clears throat> the NBC crew appeared to be in the know about on Sunday, I think it's very much a possibility. But the thing is, we know what's ha- we know what happens now is he begins this "Will you? Won't you?" Oh, I'm going to do a few Pat McAfee shows, or I'm going to drop something here. He'll appear at a golf tournament in February at Pebble Beach. Uh, you might go to the Oscars and everyone will ask him questions and no one will really know, but I think we've gone beyond the, the concept of um, him being a complete tool about it because he's signed a, a rather large extension. He's got a two-year deal in place, but they can cut him out and if he wants to retire, they can do it. I don't think anyone really knows what's going on inside that building um, apart from Aaron Rodgers himself in terms of his own future. And I think in terms of Matt LaFleur, I don't think Matt LaFleur has a clue about the direction of the, of the, of the franchise in terms of the playing staff. I, I genuinely don't. I think he wants to keep the defensive coordinator. I think he's got to look at the culture of the squad. If you've got a, same, a rookie player being ejected twice during a season, that's unforgivable. There's a lot of question marks there. I don't think they're that far away at all. Competing, I, I, but whether they the whether thing, they have Rogers or not, I don't know whether that makes any difference or not. To be honest, the, the other thing as well is I think the the Vikings I don't think are as good as the record set no. this year. No, so you don't need to improve that much. Yes, I think the Lions will probably continue to improve, but if you look at the Packers and you take out the fact, effectively, what happened with the Packers this year was they just put themselves in too much of, the, of a hole that middle part of the season. They actually finished the season pretty well. Um, you know, and they're not—they're really not that far away. The NFC is not a a conference whereby there's no quarterbacks to... in that conference. Yeah, like you look at the AFC, and the AFC, you're like, oh my god, quarterbacks in the AFC is terrifying. Hmm. Uh, as as a fan of a team who might be going into the playoffs playing a backup quarterback, you're not winning the AFC unless you've got your starting quarterback or a good quarterback playing for you. So, um. Like that, I think is true of the Packers that they can get back there. I also think we spent an awful lot of years talking about them not spending high draft picks on wide receivers for them. Both Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs actually look pretty good this year. Like they look like they could be a, a pretty okay. They're not, you know, they're not going to be a top five wide receiver duo in the NFL, but they can probably be top ten to fifteen. 
so let's move away from the Packers because, uh, as Charles says, I mean, we, we could talk all off-season about what and we probably Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And we probably <laughs> will, but Aaron Rodgers probably has no clue what he wants to do. He is an enigma whether he'll come back um, with another Nicolas Cage lookalike walk into training camp. He might choose a different film. That'll be interesting. We, we, we might even talk about that in one of our next podcasts. <laughs> what Nicolas Cage movie should Aaron Rodgers come in to the next training camp? Let's talk uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Wasn't the prettiest of games, Gordon. It handed the Steelers a winning season. I don't think the Ravens fans were that unhappy, but from what I've picked up, the Steelers fans ain't happy even with a winning season. No, so the Steelers... The Steelers beating the Browns gets them to nine and eight. They didn't make the playoffs because of um, the Dolphins' win against the Jets, which is great because technically, if you join the dots, Joe Flacco did his bit to keep the Steelers out of the playoffs one last time. So before he goes <laughs> off, and he's almost definitely going to retire. Um, on the Ravens' side, the the, <laughs> the whole thing with the Bengals was a mess last week. So obviously, everything that happened. And it was kind of the later part of the week um, last week. But everything that happened on Monday Night Football was obviously very, very scary. And thankfully, we're kind of at the point now where it seems quite likely that um, Damar Hamlin's going to be okay, at least in the sense of, you know, being able to carry on his life. I don't know what that's going to mean for his football career and those things, but, you know, it's back in Buffalo now. But then what happened was the NFL tried to figure out what the best way to approach things was. And they did it in a really strange way in that, so effectively what they decided was, if you end up with an AFC championship game between Kansas City, Buffalo, or Cincinnati, and the records would have meant that the result of the Monday night football game between the Bengals and the Bills, you know, a win by either team could have given them home field, then that game would be played on a neutral field. And that's why if... um, the Chiefs host the Bills in the AFC Championship game. It won't be played in Kansas City. It'll be played in a neutral field. They also then looked at it and they said, well, look, if the Ravens beat the Bengals in the last game of the season, the Ravens would be one win behind the Bengals, but the same number of losses. So they'd be a half game back. The Bengals would have just not played that extra game. But had the Bengals lost the Bills on Monday Night Football, the Ravens would have won the division based on 2-0 against the Bengals, Uh, 4-2 divisional record, all better. So the Bengals lost their minds about this. Now, to me, it makes perfect sense. However, if I was the NFL, how I would have handled the situation was, I would have said, we're going to play Week 18 as normal, and then at the end of Week 18, we're going to flip a coin, and the coin we're flipping is not to decide who hosts Ravens-Bengals. It's to decide who won the Bengals-Bells game. We're just flipping a coin, and for seeding purposes, that's that's how we're doing, right? Because that, that was the only way they could fix it. But the funny thing to me was that the Bengals got really upset about this, and, you know, they were talking about the rules being changed at the last minute and all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Ravens went out there and started Anthony Brown at quarterback. They went by third-string, undrafted rookie quarterback. They didn't play Mark Andrews. They didn't play J.K. Dobbins. They played their starting defense, but the Ravens went into that game pretty much with no intention of winning it. So the Bengals spent days being very upset about something that ultimately didn't matter. I think I think the hangover though from Monday night, emotional. We talked about this last week. You can't, we can't because we weren't there and we weren't in the Bengals locker room. We can't picture or 
understand how that whole incident affected them emotionally because don't forget they were going into that game knowing if they beat the Bills they would move ahead of them in the seedings and they would be putting pressure on Kansas City for the number yep. one seed and so the whole and they obviously value that and I think the rate I think they I think they took out some of that emotional rage on the on the Ravens situation if you like and the fact that the Ravens had no intention of doing it it does it's a little bit spiky and a little bit spitey in it's that regard. Be like it's this, game on, this game on Sunday is now, and uh, there's there's rumors Tasty. there's rumors doing the rounds on Twitter just now that Lamar Jackson was back at practice today. I haven't seen it confirmed yet or not. If Lamar is back and he's at ninety percent, then I think the Ravens have a chance to win that game. But I think the Bengals are still heavily favored. Oh, I can't see how. The only way I can see Cincinnati losing that game, with the greatest respect to Baltimore, is if they implode emotionally. See, and see, they lose their heads. See if you look at Sunday there, though. The Bengals scored 21 points off of turnovers. They didn't have any other like long drive success against the Ravens. So that, that's that's the world whereby the Ravens, if the Ravens don't have Lamar and they have to start Tyler Huntley, who had, I think they would go with Huntley instead of um, Anthony Brown. I'm pretty sure it was precautionary with Huntley last week. But if they start Huntley... Their path to that game is trying to limit the Bengals to two touchdowns and a field goal and just running the ball really well. Um, and that's what they've done. Like they, they kind of built themselves, the offensive line's built there. But if Lamar Jackson doesn't play, I would say it's more likely the Bengals put up 40 points and win that game. It's tough to see than, Baltimore scoring 20 points. That's the problem. At, I mean, if Lamar's back and he's at 90%, then they'll put up 25 plus. They will. It, it just, he changes everything. And him at 90% as a runner changes that dynamic entirely. J.K. Dobbins has been really good. I think he was the NFL's leading rusher in the four games since he came back, not including the last week there when he sat out. Um, their offensive line's blocking really well. The offensive linemen are pulling really well. Like They could do serious damage to the Bengals in the running game. They could have long, slow drives that, that cause big problems. But the Bengals are really good. Like uh, The thing I really like, though, is that the way Sunday's game shook out there is this now feels like a proper, tasty, as you said, argumentative game. <laughs> they don't they don't like each other. The Bengals are a little bit it's a little bit like new money versus old money. Like in the AFC North, the Ravens and the Steelers are like old money. You know, they've been around for a while, they've had long success and you know, but they but they're not flashy with it. Like and, and like their style of play just isn't flashy. Bengals, this new team who finally, after years of being in the NFL, look like a genuine Super Bowl contender, and it is flashy. Like Joe Burrow's style of play and his kind of demeanor is pretty flashy. So it just leads itself to this kind of old versus new um, rivalry game, and I think that's ultimately why they've put the game on Sunday Night Football. Like the the wild card schedule looked like it was going to be really good, and then the way it all kind of slotted together, it's not it's not as good as it could have been, I think. So I think as soon as uh, Tampa Bay-Dallas was off the cards, I think that's why Ravens-Bengals Sunday Night Football. Yeah, we'll get to the other games in a moment. Let's just have a little look back on Week 18 because there was some highlights, and I think it'd be wrong of us to ignore them. Uh, Dolphins-Jets, 9-6. Marvellous game. Uh, looking forward to the rerun on the NFL Network. Uh, the Chiefs going with a snow globe. Or ring a ring of roses, call it whatever you will, but I'm glad they got called for a penalty on it because it was utterly horrendous. Houston, 
there was no doubt Houston were going for the Colts. The players couldn't give a damn whether they were getting the number one pick or the number two pick, and good on them for doing that. Uh, Eagles won ugly against the Giants. I know Jamie Borthwick really enjoyed that game, and he's you know rooting for Daniel Webb to get a few more starts next could we, year. Could we can we go back to the Texans thing a little bit actually first? Like yeah, let's let's do that. So. I know everyone's different and there will be fans out there that like, look, we've had a really tough year. I just want to end it on a high and I want to see I want to see my team win. If I was a Texans fan, I would have been so pissed off with the fact that they won. You've you've been awful all year. Just lose that lose that last game and we get to take Bryce Young or whichever quarterback we like, or we can trade down and we can pick up a bunch of picks and all that stuff. Instead you lose that and now the Bears have got all that collateral. Power. In the draft it's power, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> which they need, which they needed, because it turns out that the draft pick they traded away for Chase Claypool is now the thirty-second overall pick in the draft, which is incredible. That's that's not great team building. <laughs> the I mean, players are players are not loyal, regardless of what anyone would suggest or fib about. They're not loyal. They don't care. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's I, no, there's no real value to them in losing a game. No, but I do wonder. It was interesting what Lovey Smith was saying. He, was, he he was under the impression that he was going to keep his job, and I think he, if if that's genuine, then he was living, like you know, in, in a kind of la la land, frankly, because we know that Houston are trigger happy. But if he did have an inclination that yeah, if I win this and I beat the Colts, then actually they might Steve, you know, Steve pulling the trigger, then. He would have been quite content with the way in which they played. I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that Houston are going to draft one of the top quarterbacks anyway, and I think it's a much of a muchness. There's no outstanding number one overall pick, really. But it, it, I, I'm delighted because I called it in September that the Bears would get the number one pick, and that's the only thing I got right all year. Yeah, just just on the, the, the Lovey Smith thing, I mean... <sighs> I can't believe that he thought he was stick. I don't think anybody thought that was going to happen. And interesting, I was reading, it was Adam Schaefer said that basically they, they did it with very few injuries. They managed to play so badly with very few injuries. And I found that quite cutting. It was a bad roster, though. Like, yeah, but, but that's, the, that's the point, Gordon. It was a bad roster that wasn't injured. So you couldn't gather a bad roster and then say it got even worse. Yeah, you know, every every other team's basically said, "Look, we've got injuries, we've got injuries, we've got injuries." Uh, they were remarkably injury free uh, and did very, very badly. And players, if you know you were leaving, you were going to try and win your last game. That that was the way to go. Um, plus, and the other thing, go to the other side of the ball. The Colts cannot seriously be thinking about bringing back Jeff Saturday. I mean, they cannot be serious about that. I mean, that was a clown show again from the Colts. That but whole we'll, franchise we'll talk, is a mess. Yeah, it's it, a mess. It, it, it's a shambles. Um, just a couple of other things that caught my eye. You can tell me if there's anything else for Week 18 before we move on. The Raiders became the first team in 23 years to get a 1,500-yard rusher and a 1,500-yard receiver. Uh, as I say, first in 23 years, fifth team all time, but the first of these five to have a losing record, which I thought was thought was kind of decent. And let me just put this on record. Now, the Saints-Panthers, that game sucked. And if you paid a lot of money to go and see that game, you should be demanding your money back. It was honking. Did, did you absolute, watch the whole thing? 
You know, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I'd rather poke my leg with a fork for three hours because it would have been more fun than watching that. It was appalling. And Dennis Allen, so far, has escaped. He looks like he's coming back, isn't he? Yep, he's escaped so far. So That uh, division is absolutely up for grabs next year. We, I know we've touched on it last week, but yeah, I'm, there's a half a chance you could go into any of those four teams and you would think, eh, yeah, okay, I can win this division. You walk yeah. straight. All you need is a, all you need is a half decent quarterback who's not a complete turd. Yep. <laughs> Few head coaches have gone. Obviously, Nathaniel Hackett went at Denver, Frank Wright, and Indianapolis. Matt Rule in Carolina all lost their jobs. I don't think Steve Oaks will be back. Um, who replaced them there? <sighs> Where we surprised? I mean, what surprises me in the business of football is how you can hand a large deal to a coach and 10 months later fire him. Cliff Kingsbury, what possessed them to hand him a long deal and then bin him? That just, that to me was weird. I don't know if there's a human being on the planet that I am more envious of than Cliff Kingsbury. Um, he's, a, he's a very attractive man. You just have to look on social media and people are very, very complimentary of how he looks. He's got a I nice house as well. Remember I the house? The, yeah, the house was in hard. Remember, remember the house? Yeah, yep. and the, and and when it, and, during and the, the draft, draft as well, the, the draft, the, draft, the, yeah, the yeah. windows were like six stories high. <laughs> yeah, I prefer um, the word handsome to attractive. Actually. Well, ha- handsome, and then I, I think if I worked out the numbers correctly, he's probably just got thirty-three million to not go to work. It's tremendous. Utterly tremendous. If if we can get the name and address of his agent, we'd be very much grateful for him to come and do that. So there was no great surprise. So Lovely Smith is gone. Obviously, Cliff Kingsbury's gone as well. There might be another exit, and this has been talked about again. Uh, is Sean McVeigh potentially leaving the Rams because he's basically had enough for now? Is is he going to do a John Madden and walk away? It's a bit similar to the. Uh... Rogers scenario because he was talking about this last year after winning the Super Bowl and he hummed and hawed about it. He I, was courted by the telly. Um, well, he, how old? What he'll be thirty six now, thirty seven. And the thing is, is that he's obviously under contract. What the Rams might well do is obviously, you know, a similar situation with the the Saints and and Sean Payton. The Rams need draft picks, so perhaps it might not be a bad idea from their perspective. If he was decided that he'd wanted to step back, then they can just hold on to his registration. He could take a year out and then they can trade him. Yep. That, that wouldn't overly surprise me. I, it strikes me as one of those things when when the chat was about it last year, it was around like how much time you spent. He's a young guy. He's won a Super Bowl. I, I, I kind of understand why he would be like, do you know what, actually, just let me get out of this and let me get a TV job now and I can keep making money. I, like I've done the hard part. I've won the yeah. I've won the trophy. Um, at, there, there was there's talk again. That Aaron Donald might retire. Um, he was pretty close to it last year. Yeah, I think there just comes a natural time. I feel as long as you know, from a player's point of view, that you, if you feel you don't have it in you for one more year, you're as well going when you've got your health. Sean McVeigh's an interesting one, as you say. He's done it, been there, seen it. Um, why not go? Right, two things, guys, before we get to the wildcard games. The Bonnie Sauce Pick'em King has been announced. Burn it all. An amazing 183-86, and 86, winning uh, ahead of Sportif Batard 
who was on 176.92, the hamsternator, uh, Zelensky's laundrette. The waves of chaos, just one game behind them. I have to say, 183.86, seven games of a difference. Congratulations, that is highly, highly impressive. There are no awards this week, but there's a special competition for everybody who's listening to this podcast. And all you have to do is simply tell us who's going to be our headline guest at our live event for Championship Sunday in Edinburgh. Go and check our socials. You'll see the form. Pop the name in there. Um, and you've got a chance to win a bottle of whiskey. That can't be bad. I did have a recording of Cameron doing it, but it's just not of enough quality to play. Uh, I was going to get him to do some work, but unfortunately not the case. So competition, simply tell us who is our big live guest coming to the show in Edinburgh. I'll give you a clue. It's not Charles Patterson. He'll be there, but he's not headlining it this year. Sorry about that, Charles. We just needed to get that out there. Right, let's have a little look at what we're going to be watching at the weekend. And I have to say, I found watching a lot of the games this weekend really awful. And I was then looking forward to watching the college championship game, um, which I bothered to listen to for five minutes while it was competitive. One of the biggest blowouts in college football history. I think 65-7 in the end, Georgia beat TCU. So that wasn't particularly great. First up... It is the Cameron Hobbs Bowl, Seattle. <laughs> he's not happy about this matchup at all, is he? He's really... No, he's not. He's not. Uh, so I think it's fair to say, and you know, putting my allegiances aside, I think the Lions against the Niners would have been a really fascinating game. It would have been a brilliant, brilliant game. And, no, you know, well done to the Seahawks. I love the fact that Geno Smith's in the playoffs. I love the fact that he threw for more yards than any Seahawks quarterback in history, which I think is hilarious. And I don't think they have a chance. I generally don't think they have a chance. He's going to have to just completely load it up and go and chuck the ball down the field and see what happens because that's the only way I can see Seattle winning it. Seattle can win this game if they score 30, 35 points and there's a chance that they can create a couple of turnovers of Brock Purdy. I just can't see it. Divisional rematches are weird though. Like you don't want to be the uh the the favorite in a wild in a divisional rematch, I don't think in the playoffs. It just it's tough. Divisional opponents are always tough. We've seen that throughout the regular season. Games whereby there is a team who's clearly better than the other, but it winds up being a really close tough game. I can see the Seahawks making this really awkward for the 49ers. And at some point, like, Brock Purdy hasn't really been tested. He's got uh, to fall somewhere, you think? Like, you know, there's going to be some struggles he has. If he has some struggles, how does he respond to that? You know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, Gino Smith doesn't have a great deal of playoff experience either. Uh, but he is having the best season of his life, and that might be enough to carry them. I think, like you guys, I think they need all the rub of the green that they can potentially get. Um, but Pete Carroll will be absolutely relishing this. He's got a team that can win there, and a lot of people don't fancy him to do so. I think this is a cracking matchup to get us underway. Los Angeles Chargers against the Jacksonville Jaguars seems like a slightly harder sell uh, for, for the American market. Simply I think it's a great not, game. I think this is the best Hang game. on. Yeah, hang on. Simply because they're not, really storied franchises, if you like. I think the Chargers have lost something for me. 
going to LA and Jacksonville have just been in permanent struggles. However, this could be a good game. And from you two jumping in, I get the feeling you think if, the same. If you if you took these rosters and coaching staffs and put them into any other matchup, it would have been Sunday night football, I think. I think the only reason it's not Sunday night football is the point you made there. It's the Jaguars, it's the Chargers. How much are people tuning in for them? But two really good young quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence has finished the season really well. Uh, Justin Herbert has a huge arm that just fizzes the ball in there. Uh, the interesting thing for the Chargers, though, is going to be is Mike Williams going to be ready to play? Because even though they didn't have to win that game, they played starters and he got hurt. So um, that'll be a bit awkward for them. And the way the Jaguars have played in the second half of the season, they can win this. Mm. And it would be very Chargers-like for them to lose this. The, the Chargers, though, it, the Chargers 10-7 season feels like the quietest impressive season in, in the AFC this year. They were 6-6, six and six, remember? Yeah. And remember, this is a division where everyone thought the Raiders were going to be great, the Broncos were going to be great, and the, how did the Chargers keep up with them and the Chiefs? And the Chargers were meh for about until the end of November, and then they've put together this little run of games at the end of the year. And I um, I worry about them a little bit going to Jacksonville you know, switching three time zones, eh, well, fine. A lot of teams don't care about that anymore. They haven't been in the playoffs. I mean, as much as they've got some stars there, they've got Eckler and they've got Keenan Allen. They've not been in the playoffs. Herbert's not been in the playoffs. You don't know how he's going to react. I think the Jack the Jacksonville Jaguars are just riding a little bit of a wave at the moment. And I love the Chargers. I think Herbert's amazing. I just think he's incredible. But I think that the Jags are going to win that. And I just I think the home advantage thing. Just you'll, you, there's going to be a team that's going to be underdogs with the bookies this weekend that is going to go on a wee run and maybe get to the championship game. And I think the Jags have a chance. They've got a chance to do it. So in terms of the head-to-head, I mean, they played earlier in the season and Jacksonville absolutely stomped them by 28 points. Chargers, eighth in offense against Jaguars and ninth. 20th ranked defense of the Chargers, 24th of the Jaguars. The third-rated passing game. Chargers 10th for the Jaguars but the problem may well come and the Chargers just don't can't rush the ball 30th in rushing against 14th for the Jaguars if they can rush I think they can win it but I think that's been the big issue for them it's Ek- Eckler gets the dump offs and he, I mean he's the touchdown machine I mean in fantasy he's an, he's an absolute go-to for everybody but it's that it's the underneath passes that they that they rely on rather than you know the actual running of the ball and Herbert's quite comfortable with that. I I just worry that see when Mike Williams was out, they lacked the consistency with the deep ball, and now that he's back and he's a big guy, you know, he's it, he just takes attention away from from Allen and he takes attention away from Eckler and and the two tight ends. One of them is it Parham, who's about six foot nine or something like that. I think I think if Williams is out then that is really going to restrict their offense a little bit. And you're going to see Herbert trying to do magical things and chucking an interception, which is obviously in him. And I think you've got to also remember that Doug Peterson's won a Super Bowl and Brandon Staley has done all right, but he's not completely convinced as a head coach. And he's still, you know, if they've missed the playoffs, he would have been in serious, serious hot water. And I think think it may well come down to coaching as well. I can see Peterson performing a few 
miracles here to to make Jacksonville take them through. Okay, I've got t- two things. One, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna paint you a scenario, and I want you to tell me percentage wise how likely you think it might be. Also, I think of all the coaches that are going into the playoffs, possibly with the exception of Dallas. I don't think Brandon Staley is safe. Um, I think if they could get Sean Payton or somebody like that, I think they'd take them in a heartbeat. Okay, percentage likely, gentlemen, that in five years from now, the Jacksonville Jaguars will be going into the playoffs, having made the playoffs for five consecutive seasons under Peterson and Lawrence and already won a Super Bowl. Mm, Percentage. Yeah, how how high a percentage do you think? If Trevor Lawrence is as good as we think he potentially can be and Peterson, we know, has won a Super Bowl, is this the dream team for the Jaguars? I, I, I see it difficult to be a better combination in the circumstances. and Especially in terms of... So, if you're the Jaguars, what type of coach could you currently get on the open market? Um versus like what you know what quarterback would be available to you in free agency and stuff like that in the future. Yeah. I mean it's a it, you look at that division. Yeah. It's, it's not, winnable it's not, every year. Yeah, definitely. There's no quarterback so, in that division at the moment. Correct. That's it. I I think Lawrence probably is. I think you have to look at how he played in the second half of the year. Mm. And I think he was really good. Um I, I think he is comfortably the best quarterback in that division. Yeah. So, so is the scenario I'm, I'm painting likely? Unlikely? I think I think it's fifty-fifty. I mean, it depends on injuries, and it depends on who the Colts bring in, and you know what happens in Tennessee, because those are, I think that those both those franchises have got good pieces, but they're they've been let down by poor quarterback play. But so what what's what what is it a percentage chance of that they win a Super Bowl? Well, five consecutive I'm, I'm years. Five five consecutive years in the playoffs, and that in five years' time they'll have won a Super Bowl. Uh Ten percent, just because stuff goes wrong. Yeah, but if you if if you if I had to say in the playoffs or not, each of the next five years, I would probably put it above fifty percent each year. I would say fifty percent for playoffs. The Super Bowl, you can't gauge. No, it's luck a yeah. lot of times. Yeah, there's you know, it is. And I would like to point out, and you might not agree with this or not, but since I bought the Jacksonville Jags jersey, they're nine <laughs> and eight. And they're in the playoffs. I think there's the link. Anyway, <laughs> although they did lose, they did lose at Wembley when I wore the jersey. So let's move on from that. Now, talk me out of this one, guys. I think Miami Buffalo is going to be the worst game of the weekend. Tell me I'm wrong. No, oh, not if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. Be terrific. You'll just get. You'll get. You'll watch Josh Allen just roundhouse them I mean, it depends who's starting at quarterback for Miami ultimately I that's think what... it's going to be too uh... well if it is there's there's always a shot there's always a shot it's certainly not if it's going to be Skylar Thompson no but I still can't see Miami winning I don't I no I, I actually don't think it matters who plays no. um, quarterback I think it is I, the Bills, the Bills looked really good last week. Josh Allen was very good. Um, I, I just, I, he's a very, very good quarterback, and I feel like we're on a collision course for some combination of Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Kansas City. Oh, I don't think there's any question. I think the three of them are streets ahead. Three, they're absolutely streets ahead. I, I, 
Miami went, won their first three, lost their next three, won five in a row, lost five in a row, won a squeaker at the end of the season against the Jets, 11-6. That is not playoff form. I'm sorry. You know, they've got... And at times they've been very good, at other times they've been awful. So... You're right. I forgot about the safety. I said it was 9-6. There was that incredible, yeah, action at the end to make it 11-6. Yeah. Dead exciting. <laughs> that's Gorigami, by the way. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty close to it, I would have thought. That's, that's for sure. I mean, the, you know, the Dolphins have got exciting receivers. We know that. But if they don't have Tua uh, slinging the ball, I don't think they've got a hope. I, I, even with that, I don't think they've got a hope. It's one of those games. Let's move on to the Giants at Minnesota. Minnesota... Gordon are wearing the tag that says overachievers. They've got a point to prove. I, do, I, I think, you know, you would look at them and if you just purely looked at the record, you would think, yeah, it's been an impressive season on a down year for obviously the Packers, the, the Bears weren't particularly good and the Lions bounced back. But 13 and four hosting a nine and seven team, you would think there's a no contest here. But I don't know. I think they, they remain unconvincing. This this to me feels like the the best opportunity for a road team to upset. I think there's one other game that I think has a big opportunity to be um, an upset as well. But in terms of road team winning, the Giants have been really strong all year. The Vikings just don't put teams away. And the Giants are not a team I would like to keep around in a game any longer than you have to. So... I think the Vikings are rightly favoured, but it's only by, you know, three points at this point. And it really wouldn't shock me. I think this is the most likely wildcard team to win against a divisional winner. If it's a close game, Minnesota will win. They've had 11 games this season where there's been one score in it, and they've won every single one. So I still think they're frauds, by the way. The tough, the tough, the tough thing with that though is like everything over years of NFL metrics tells you that if you're a team that consistently wins close games, over time that evens itself out. So, which is what we've seen in so Wisconsin. The, the eleven, you know, the eleven straight close close wins. <laughs> At some point, that has to flip the other way, just because yeah. it, it's it's one bounce of the ball. That's games. exactly that's 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 what's that's why the NFC North is the way it's been this year. And so the the, the four losses Minnesota have had have been blowouts. They've been absolutely, you know, brutalized. They were annihilated by Dallas, and then Green Bay destroyed them two weeks ago. And by the same token, Green Bay last year I think had nine were nine and one in one score games, and then this year. They lost to the Lions twice. They lost to the Commanders. They lost to the Giants all by a single score. You flip those on their head, they're 12 and 5. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. The problem lies in the fact that I don't think the Giants can score enough points to not have this as a one score game. I mean, it, Minnesota have got this history in the playoffs of agony and despair, unless, of course, you're, you know, you're talking about the Minnesota miracle. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention that. Thank you. The, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a fair podcast without a dig. Um, <laughs> the Je- Jefferson's been quiet for the last few weeks. 
And I just get the sense that they've finally got all the kind of nonsense of, out of their system around the, the Green Bay game and where they're seeded. I think they just need to go out there, if you're Minnesota, and just play. Just be and play. Dalvin Cook's not had a great year. It's time to, for him to do something. And I just I can't see the Giants scoring enough points to cause Minnesota worries and concerns. That's that's where, but their defense stinks, Minnesota. So I could be completely wrong. <laughs> the, the question I've got for for both of you is perhaps the fact that are the Giants satisfied with getting to the playoffs? You know, sometimes Brian, that, no, you know, Brian Brian Dable is a is a really good head coach. I think they got that hire, an absolute slam dunk, knocked out of the park. To use two incorrect sporting metaphors. No, no, you you go with the NBA and the MLB. You go for uh, it. I, I think it's a absolutely phenomenal hire, and he comes from uh, coaching trees whereby they know how to do things the right way. They're they are more likely to play this game loose because they know they're not favourites and they can just go and cause upsets than they are to just be content with this. The the other thing. I don't think people are talking enough about how good Dexter Lawrence has been on the defensive line for the Giants this year. He's had a huge year, probably should be getting a bit more love for things like Defensive Player of the Year, even though he's, you know, probably wouldn't win that award ahead of some of the guys. But they can cause them serious problems. And I and I think Brian Dable will have them ready to play and ready to cause problems. We've talked about Baltimore, Cincinnati, and what needs to happen there, which leaves us with one final game. The Cowboys, who got scalped by the Commanders, uh, but they don't want to talk about that. And Again, it was just another one of these ugly Week 18 games in Tampa Bay, who lost to the Falcons. So, Disgusting I mean, game. Neither, neither team were happy. Here is what we need to happen. We need the, okay. the Cowboys to win this game. Mm. Because if the Cowboys win this game, Every single team in the NFC South will have lost 10 or more games this season. <laughs> that, my friend, is remarkable. And the Saints were lucky only to lose that many. But yeah, it, Dallas, it, Tampa Bay. It's a horrible game. It's a horrible game because Dallas, you know. Not good I, outdoors. I, yeah, not brilliant outdoors. Dax had what's had a pick in the last seven games. It's just. It's, you you look at that game and you can see Tampa Bay winning it because Dallas are going to potentially come in and just play bad football. But I'm looking for the Dallas defense to just put, I want them to pummel Brady into retirement. This is the week to do it. Mike Parsons, <laughs> do us a favor, do the whole of the playoff picture a favor and sack Brady six times. Just smash him, smash him and make him realize he now needs to go and play golf. That's it. That's all I want to see. He now he now needs to go to Las Vegas and play quarterback for the Raiders because that's where he's going to go next. <laughs> and find himself a new cheerleader wife along the way. I mean, in terms of the Buccaneers, their problem is rushing. They're 32nd in the league in rushing are the, the Buccaneers. I mean, they've got the roster is Fernet White and then Cameron Hobbs is in at third running back for them. I mean, it's been that bad for them this year. Why? Why can't they rush the ball? I think they just gave it. I think they gave up on it. To be honest, I mean, the thing is, when you've got Brady at quarterback, it's very easy to go. Oh, it's fine. He'll get us out of a fix. And the problem was for so long in the, during the course of the season, he was not able to connect with Mike Evans and Godwin. And Fournette, 
this playoff Lenny nonsense we heard two or three years ago. <laughs> he's never been a good running back. Nope, he's not. I, I, the Jaguars took him fourth overall, I think, which was insane. The the fascinating thing for me, if you watch the Bucks offense this year, is that when it's come down to two-minute drills and Tom Brady's just gone out there and called his own plays, they've, moved, been fine. The ball. they've moved the ball really well. <laughs> when they, when it's just normal things and Byron Leftwood just calling plays, it's arguably the second worst offense in the NFL next to whatever Greg Roman's been cooking up when Lamar Jackson's been out. It's awful, awful to watch. But Byron Leftwood was being touted as a future head coach somewhere. What's gone wrong? It's the same reason why um, Todd Bowles, who I don't think is a particularly good head coach, got the Buccaneers job. They, they were able to kind of piggyback off the success they had with Bruce Arians. Also, for, so Byron Leftwich might still be a good head coach in the NFL. He just isn't a particularly good offensive coordinator, I don't think. I think the, 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 the only way the, the Cowboys lose this is if Dak has a meltdown and if Trayvon Diggs decides that he's just going to go walk about. It's, it's Brady, though. It's there's it's still Brady. I know he can spook you, and it's it's a home game, and that's the other thing. Home teams have got, you know, have they've got that advantage. That's what that that's why all this coin flip nonsense this week took place. It's important but, but if you're if you're Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and you're sat there looking at the NFC. So uh, if the Giants beat the Vikings, which I think is a realistic chance. And if the Buccaneers the win. beat the Cowboys, and the and any combination, to be honest, at that point of whoever wins San Francisco Seattle, they would play San Francisco or the Giants at that point. And all of a sudden, so the, the Bucks' path to get to the NFC Championship game, if they can just get a couple of games out of Brady, it's not that difficult. And it's just it's yeah. what he's it's what he's done his whole career. Other, another firing's just come in. Washington Commanders have fired their offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Apparently, um, all sorts of chopping and changes of quarterbacks uh, there. That'll be interesting to see. That's just come out in the last yeah. year. Just another dysfunctional franchise. The, the other the other news that came in was uh, I think it's Michael Bidwell at the Cardinals. Someone at the Cardinals, anyway has come out and said that uh, they will, yeah, owner Michael Bidwell will be expressing to general manager candidates that they plan to trade, try and trade all pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, you're rubbing your hands at that, aren't you? That's, listen, DeAndre, pal, there's an offense that I can guarantee you 50 to 60 targets, if that interests you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is the shameless Gordon McGuinness making a plug for his very own team already. Well, uh, just remind you, our competition is simply tell us who's our live guest in Edinburgh. Please check our social media channels, fill out the form, tell us who it is, get your tickets for that event. There's an event in Glasgow a couple of days beforehand as well. All the details are on the NFL Scotland Twitter site and on our website. Gentlemen, are, are you excited by this wildcard weekend? Is this going to be a weekend that will yeah. ignite passions. Yeah. So there's always close games. There's always close games. There's a few new teams in there. I was a bit concerned 
that actually it wouldn't look too dissimilar to what we saw last year with some of the teams in there. The thing is, the best franchises, the most well-run franchises are always there or thereabouts. And, you know, we could have seen the Steelers in there. We could have seen Green Bay in there. Um, These are franchises that year in, year out, reach the postseason. Ultimately, the teams that are at the top of the pecking order in the AFC are the same teams that were there last year. That's the consistency level. The beauty of the NFL, apparently, is, the, is that it's this season where one minute you can be zero, the next minute you can be hero. It doesn't always work like that. And it very, very rarely results in a situation like um, Jacksonville going from worst to first. And that's that's the good thing about Jacksonville is that they've actually got their act together. They've got a good coach in and they're making the most of the resources and with a little bit of help around them. And that's why it would have been cool to see Detroit in there because they've made a really good fist of it. So, ah, listen, it's going to be really interesting. I think you can probably predict four of the six results quite comfortably. It's the, the Chargers-Jags one I can't pick and the, the Vikings-Giants one, I don't know. I think I think the Giants are um, going to struggle there. But I, I think the fact that there's three divisional games is really interesting and I would mm. I would probably wager relatively confidently that either... Seattle, Miami, or Baltimore win this week. I, one of those divisional teams is probably upsetting someone. Yeah, because it's just I just have a hard time seeing three divisional games go the way of the favorite. There's very rarely a sweep. Yep, and that's bad news if you're a San Francisco fan. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to name name and shame oh, San yes, Francisco. Absolutely. Oh, while we're on and while you're here, um. Is a, is a linebacker worth $100 million over five years? That's my question to Gordon. So I remember when the trade happened and we talked about it and I said I didn't hate the trade because I thought it was an opportunity for them to, for them to improve their linebackers where they struggled. Uh, didn't like the value of giving up a second round pick and I hated it if they signed him to a contract extension. He's been really, really good though. Like it's so in terms of how in terms of how he's graded at PFF, if you take the highest graded seasons by a Ravens linebacker since PFF started doing stuff in two thousand and six, the top seven are Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis. Then it's Roquan Smith, and then it's Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis. I, I don't hate it because he's been really, really good. He 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 has been key to that defense in the second half of the year. Like the Ravens' offense has done nothing, like for two months now, nothing at all, and they still managed to win games with a backup quarterback on the strength of that defense. So I don't hate it because I think he's been really good and he's really fun to watch play. He's also like he's rattled Bengals fans and Bengals players heading into this game this week. They're posting clips of him flipping balls at Jamar Chase and bumping into Jamar Chase and. He's a dirty player. He's this, that, and the next thing. Like He's that type of player that you like in this division. What I would say, though, is that now guarantees that Patrick Queen is not getting a second contract in Baltimore. If I had to make a guess, I would say Patrick Queen is traded this offseason for a second or third round pick. And it guarantees and, they're yep. going to tag Lamar, probably. Ta- ta- so, And this is the thing as well. Because they've signed- that's the big one, isn't it? Because they've signed Roquan to an extension, I think his first year cap hit will cap hit will only be about four million, because it's like it's the signing bonus is spread out, and you you put like a low first year. 
probably minimum. So it'll probably be about four, four to four point five million, and that means it's easier for them to tag Lamar. I still think they're going to get long term deal done with Lamar. Yeah, I, th- I think Patrick Queen will go end up in New Orleans. That's my that's my prediction. I think Wait, we're just all the connect all the right. connections back there. Before we go, because uh, as Cameron is listening back to this before he puts it out, he's had kittens by now because we haven't mentioned David Ajabo. I thought I would save the best till last, and David Ajabo getting the strip sack on Joe Burrow was a thing of beauty. And great to see. Gordon, we know players who are sort of on the bubble get the chance towards the end of the season. I mean, he's done himself absolutely no harm with the way he played. No, and it was one of the best things I thought about last week for the Ravens was that they kind of went into that game and said, we're just going to play young guys. A lot of their rookie draft class got a lot of time and Ojabo got like a, by far the most snaps he's had all year. Came up with the sack and the forced fumble. I also liked the play as well because it, it highlighted the same thing that you saw with him coming out of Michigan that as much as he's got physical tools there, he also has like a really high motor. It was a play whereby he doesn't win initially, but Joe Burrow holds on to the ball and he keeps working, keeps working his way back to the ball, forces a fumble. Um, and it's hard to say, it's hard to see a reason why the Ravens shouldn't put him out there for 15 to 20 snaps this week as well. They're not. They don't have great pass rushers anyway. Um, give him fifteen to twenty snaps and see what he can do. He's he's clearly talented, and it it does set does set both the Ravens and him up in a pretty exciting position heading into next year because next year he should be a full time player, and he's going to have a full off season under his belt to practice and all those things. I also think it's pretty incredible that we're talking about probably somewhat about like seven months ago or something like that. Yeah, it was about eight. But was eight, it was it start of yeah. March? Yeah, yeah. So eight, eight, nine nine months. Months, eight nine months ago, he tears his Achilles at, at his pro day. Eight nine months later, he's forcing fumbles in the NFL. It's a, a an incredible comeback. Kudos um, to the rehab people. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely tremendous, and we wish David all the best. We hope we might even hear from him during the close season. That would be rather wonderful, gentlemen. Our time is up for this particular episode, episode 218 of Stramash, the NFL Scotland podcast. Remember, no awards this week, but simply tell us who is our live guest in there. Championship Sunday in Edinburgh, and you'll be in line to win a bottle of whiskey, which is pretty damn good stuff from Loch Lomond, who are one of our sponsors. Congratulations as well to Bonnie Sauce, the Pick'em King, as well. We were delighted to be able to run that competition again this year. My thanks to Gordon McGuinness, to Charles Patterson, Cameron Hobbs. We'll be back next week. That's a promise, not a threat, even if Seattle win. That's it from us. Bye for now. (laughs) 